Welcome back to the Steadfast Podcast here in the new year, 2021. Hope you've had a good holiday season. And uh, throughout holiday season, you focus on Jesus Christ. And you're making the decision this year to get serious about your faith. To make him Lord of your life. And to follow in obedience. And um, desiring his will to, to just lead your life wherever you may go. I do have a few things to talk about in our segment, some things to keep an eye on, some new stuff that are that's been taking place, some things I'm interested in, things that have gone on this week that I wanted to bring up. First of all, President Trump came out this week against religious persecution. And I'm thankful that he's been a champion for the freedom of us believers to worship freely and openly. That's a it's been a blessing in that, in that aspect. And he announced a proclamation this week on the 850th anniversary of the death of English Archbishop Thomas Beckett. Now, Thomas Beckett was martyred on December 29th, 1170, 850 years ago. Now, Thomas Beckett was an individual who gave up his life so that there could be freedom and peace in the church. Thomas Beckett, he refused to sign a document that would allow the government to get involved with restrictions on the church. We see many of that today happening throughout our country. Well, because he refused to sign this document, this upset King Henry II, who really looked down upon Thomas Beckett. He saw him as a poor priest. And how dare he defy the king? See that happening across with our governors across this country, right? And here's what Thomas Beckett said, and many church leaders today are saying. Thomas Beckett said, God is the supreme ruler above kings, and we ought to obey God rather than men. And because Thomas didn't go along with what the elite were telling him, what happened? He was silenced. The cancel culture is not a new thing. It's happened throughout the centuries. Now, Thomas Beckett, he was forced to give up his property, which, by the way, is something that some of those in power in the United States wants to do. They want to eventually, I think it's called the 2030 Project, they want to eventually have it that no person in America owns any private property by 2030. Anyways, Beckett was forced to give up his property. He was also forced to leave the country. At some point, eventually, he was allowed to return back to the country. Like the Apostle Paul, when he came back, he didn't change what he was doing. Okay? He didn't change the message. He stood steadfast. His calling remained the same. Truth remained the same. Truth doesn't change. And he stayed faithful despite what the consequences might be. Well, Thomas Beckett was given an ultimatum, an ultimatum by the king's knights. Hey, get with the program or be killed. And they ended up killing him. The last thing Thomas Beckett said was this. For the name of Jesus and the protection of the church, I am ready to embrace death. He knew where he was going. He knew who God was. He knew who he he was going to serve. Despite it might not be unpopular. It might be a hard thing. He knew he was going to serve. Believers, listen to me. 
Things may not get easier in this country as far as our freedom, our freedom to share the truth of the scriptures. Nevertheless, it is a must that we share the scriptures and trust in God. In Psalm 11, we spoke about on a recent Wednesday night at the Steadfast Church. In Psalm 11, David's friends told him to, hey, flee to the mountains as he was being pursued. But David said, uh-uh. I will put my trust in the Lord. He is my refuge. I want to read the White House Proclamation, some of it. This is one of the things the White House Proclamation says. said, the crimes against people of faith must stop. Prisoners of conscience must be released. Laws restricting, restricting freedom of religion and belief must be repealed. And the vulnerable, the defenseless, and the oppressed must be protected. The tyranny and murder that shocked the conscience of the Middle Ages must never be allowed to happen again. As long as America stands, we will always defend religious liberty. A society without religious, uh, a society without religion cannot prosper. A nation without faith cannot endure because justice, goodness, and peace cannot prevail without the grace of God. Absolutely right. I pray that that proclamation goes out and it is followed. And that indeed is the heart of America. As I don't think the next administration coming in has that same kind of mindset. That is absolute truth there. And I'm thankful for that. Something to be celebrated, that proclamation. I also wanted to talk about a few things on the topic of abortion. So We have some bad news and some good news. We'll start off with the bad news first. Those of you that were at the Steadfast service Wednesday night or caught it online, you might have heard me talk about what I heard on the radio driving to church, what happened in Argentina. The government just voted to approve abortion before 14 weeks. And as I listened to the radio report and the excitement that was behind it, it broke my heart. As we see the scriptures coming together right in front of our eyes. The Bible says in the last days, they would call, men would call evil good and good evil. And this is what we're seeing. Seems like the total opposite of what is right is happening around the world. Another thing that's sad to me is that this excitement from whoever I was listening to on NPR, the excitement was that the hope that, oh, this could open up abortions around the surrounding regions. This is amazing. God forbid that that would ever happen and that we can get it headed in the other direction. So would you pray with me that God would intervene on the behalf of babies' lives and that there would be heart change for those that don't understand that abortion is wrong. And not just that it's wrong, but they that they would understand why it is wrong. We always need the why. Why is something wrong? Well, we have to know why. The why is always because God says so. And he calls it murder. Murder goes against God's law in which the wages of sin is death for those that commit the murder. We get that flipped. The ones being murdered are the innocent. Now to the good news. The good news, though, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine just signed a law requiring that murder babies, or we call them aborted babies, that their remains must be cremated or buried. Called the Unborn Child Dignity Act. Although there is no dignity in murdering a child, um, that's what it's called. And anyone that doesn't follow this act it is a misdemeanor of the first degree. Now, in the past, what would happen is Planned Parenthood had been throwing the remains of murdered babies in the landfills. Despicable. Despicable that it even happens, but no thought of respect whatsoever to these babies. Now, Ohio, they've been on the forefront in the battle against ending the murder of babies in the name of abortion. For, for a while now. Um, 
In 2019, they passed the heartbeat bill, which banned any abortions after a heartbeat had been detected, so around six weeks. Now, that's obviously not good enough as a baby starts at conception. The scriptures say, before you were in the womb, God knew you. So, we're having some steps in the right direction for sure, and Ohio's doing a lot of things. In um, 2018, I believe they uh, had a bill that, to, to stop people from uh, aborting those with Down syndrome. God loves all of his creation. We'll be back in the next segment and with our study through our study through the Bible in the book of Job. Would you turn to Job chapter 11 with us this evening or whenever you're listening to this? Picking up chronologically verse by verse where we left off going through the whole Bible. Now, uh, maybe you're going through a painful time in your life tonight. And what you're going through, no one really understands your situation. That's how Job feels. Hopefully the book of Job can help give you a better perspective on life and how God operates and gives you a stronger faith. That's what we're hoping through this. Job according to God, is an upright man. And in his uprightness, Satan appears before God and, and, and God says, hey, consider my servant Job, how, how, how upright he is, how, how, how well off he is, and uh, blameless. And Satan appears before God and says, God, he only follows you because all you ever do is bless him. God says, all right. You can, you can come against him, but don't touch him personally. You can come against his life, but don't touch his personal frame. And Satan came against all his possessions. And he did. Job lost everything, basically, humanly speaking, that you can think of. But in his loss, he still worshiped God. He said, naked I come into this world, and naked I shall leave. I'm still going to say this. I'm going to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Then Satan comes before God again, says, skin for skin. He will certainly then curse you to your face. Satan ends up being allowed to attack his physical body. God says, okay, just don't kill him. And he did. He came against him, filled him with boils from head to toe. And Job ended up being in excruciating pain. So much that he wishes that he never was even born. And Job has the big old question that many of us often have asked through the years. Why is this happening? I don't understand. Well, then three friends come to try to help him out. And they don't, they're not really friends that bring comfort though. They rather come and they rebuke him. Now, some of the things these friends say had great advice for someone that's under sin, but Job was not under sin in this case. And they believe that, of course, he sinned. He must have sinned or God wouldn't be putting them through these things. This is the judgment of God. And that's not true. It's not true of God. It's not how God does things. And it's not true of the Bible. But the problem is like many of us run into is they don't understand the whole story. We see that back in chapter 2. We see the background. But most of the time, we don't understand the whole story. And to judge from partial knowledge, we could be totally off base on what is really going on, as we see that happen many times. So if someone is down in life, maybe sick or struggling to find work, whatever it may be, doesn't mean God is against them. What we need to understand is that God is sovereign. He can do what he wants when he wants. But in his sovereignty, we still know this about God's character. That he loves. He is love. And for those that are his own believers, everything he's doing is for our good and for the good of the kingdom. So we got a new friend that pops up this week to talk to Job. His name is Zophar. And basically, Zophar says basically what the rest of the friends said. 
But out of all the friends, he's going to be the harshest of all with them. Just lay it out. No tack whatsoever. So chapter 11, verse 1. Then answered Zophar, the Naamatite, and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified? Should your lies make men hold their peace? And when you mock, shall no man make you ashamed? See, Job had just poured out his heart, laid it all out, and there's going to be a back and forth between him and his friends. And Zophar is saying to Job, after Job just got done speaking, he says, Job, you're just full of talk. Basically, Job, you're full of hot air. That's all it is, a bunch of hot air, Job. And it continues on, verse 4 says, For you have said my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. Zophar, you're wrong there. Job didn't say such a thing. Job did not say once his doctrine was pure. Job never claimed to be sinless. He did, however, proclaim he doesn't know what he has done wrong on this occasion. He doesn't know what, what, why this is happening, but he never claimed to be sinless. This is Zophar saying things that Job never said. Zophar goes on in verse 5 and says, But all that God would speak and open his lips against you. He is so far off base here. Now, God did speak. He opened up his lips, but not against Job. He opened up his lips unto Satan. And not against Job, but actually for Job. To show how pleased he was with Job. How proud he was of him. This is to lift up Job, this whole situation. It might not seem that way because he doesn't understand the background, but this is all about um, showing how, how, how upright Job is. Verse 6. Zophar says, continues on, and that he would show you the secrets of his wisdom. God would do that. That you are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of you less than your iniquity deserves. This is incredible here. That he would say this is amazing. You see, Job, he's lost his health. He lost all his children. He lost his livelihood. Yet so far has the gall to say, you haven't even got close to what you deserve for what you have done. We can't tell you what you've done. But we know you did something really bad to be this case and you deserve worse. You're not even getting as much as you deserve. And there's some truth to that for all of us. That we, Because reality is, by our own standards of, of goodness, we all deserve to go to hell. None of us measure up. But the intent here is not just talking about us as deserving to go to hell. This is saying without proof is, Job, you're going through this because of sin. Because of what you've done. Very clear, he's saying, Job, stop your whining, Job. You're ranting here. You're full of hot air. You're suffering because of you did something. You're not suffering without cause. It could be much worse. You deserve much worse. Well, Zophar goes on, verse 7 says, Can you by searching find out God? Can you find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as heaven. What can you do? Deeper than hell, what can you know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he cut off and shut up or gather together, then who can hinder him? For he knows vain men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? For vain men would be wise, though man be born like a donkey, a wild donkey's colt. This is an insult here. It's, it's basically uh, an ancient proverb. The insult is uh, when we see a man born of a donkey, which is impossible. When we see a man born of a donkey, that's going to happen before you say anything with wisdom, Job. Basically, he's saying, Job, you're not very smart, Job. Point blank, he's calling Job stupid. Verse 13. As if you prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, 
If iniquity be in your hand, put it far away. Let not wickedness dwell in your tabernacles. For then shall you lift up your face from those spots. Yeah, thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear. Because you shall forget your misery, remember it as waters that pass away. And your age shall be clearer than the noonday. You shall shine forth, you shall be as the morning. And you shall be secure, because there is hope. Yeah, you shall dig about you, and you shall take your rest in safety. Also you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. Yeah, many shall make suit unto you, Job. In other words, Job, all you're going to do is repent. All you're going to do is admit what you've done. And then the blessings, they're going to come back into your life. Basically the same old stuff all his friends have been saying, except maybe a little more harsh. And Zophar says in verse 20, But the eyes of the wicked shall fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. Well, now Job's going to reply in chapter 12. And if they thought, if they thought Job was long-winded before, he's going to respond here, and it's going to take him three chapters. And of course, going through the book of Job until we get to the end, the end we will probably want to slow down a little, but there's a lot of repetition here, I admit, and I appreciate you guys sticking with us through this. Uh, with that being said, though, you will notice we're covering more ground over the last few weeks. But again, understand that some of this advice given by the friends is good advice for those that are involved in sin. That just wasn't the case with Job. And their theology is totally off base. Their theology that if he was suffering, uh, it's because he did something. For some reason, if he's suffering and God's not judging him, then God would be unjust. It's their theology. And that's not true. But their theology is, is really elementary theology. Their kindergarten theology, the cause and effect. That's all it is, black and white. But it's not biblical. It takes the sovereignty of God out of everything. Well, Job's response in chapter 12. Job answered and said, No doubt. But you are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. You can, you can, you can sense it. Job has had enough. You can sense his sarcasm here. Job saying, "You're right. You guys, yeah, you're you're so smart. You are so smart that when you guys end up dying, we ain't gonna have any wisdom anymore. It's all gonna die with you. You have it all. You guys are so smart." But Job also says in verse three. You guys are so smart, but guess what? I have understanding as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Yeah, who knows not such things as these? You guys think you're so smart. You're talking as if you're speaking about things people don't know. In other words, you're really being Captain Obvious here. You're saying things everyone already knows. You're just throwing out cliches. But it's not relevant to my case. Verse 4, Job continues on and says, I am as one mocked of his neighbors, or called upon God. And he answers him, the just upright man is laughed to scorn. He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. Job says, it's for those that are living in cushy, comfortable life to throw wise thoughts, these cliches around. Because you're all comfy, you're going to throw these cliches around to somebody who's in pain. You're not experiencing the pain. You're, you're throwing these things. Every, everybody already knows all these things, but you're throwing them around because you're you're cushy and we're in, I'm in pain here. It's easy to do that. But if you were in my circumstances, things would be changed, be different. For six, the tabernacles of robbers. Job is going to make a point here. The tabernacles of robbers prosper. And they that provoke God are secure into whose hand God brings abundantly. So speaking of robbers there, Job says there are times when wicked seem to prosper. So if that's the case, it's not cut and dry. It's not cause and effect theology. And we know this to be true in our country. Some of the most prosperous by human terms, by human means, human standards, some of the most prosperous in our nation are drug dealers. Or those in crime operations, breaking in the dough. Not because 
They're not rich because God's blessing them. Wicked is being allowed to prosper for a season. Of course, God in his time will set things right, but it's all about his time. It's not, it's not cause and effect. Okay, It's not that black and white. The theology is off. If theology doesn't put into consideration God's sovereignty and God's timing. Verse 7. I was going to say, consider the nature here. Um, things of nature. It says, ask now the beast, and they shall teach you. And the birds of the air, and they shall tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach you. And the fish of the sea shall declare unto you. Who knows not in all these that the hand of the Lord has wrought this? And whose hand is a soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind. And that is so true. God sustains all people, even those that want nothing to do with them. God is sustaining them. If you go back to health class, we have muscles in our body that are controlled by our brain. Voluntary muscles, they're called. Then we have what are called involuntary muscles. What are involuntary? It's our heart and lungs. We don't have to use our brain to think, hey, I gotta breathe, I gotta breathe, or I gotta pump out blood. We don't have to think about it. It, it just goes on their own. God didn't put us in charge of those things. Okay? Thank God, right? He sustains us, He's in charge of those. But I mean, if we hold our breath until we pass out, once we pass out, we'll eventually start breathing again. It'll start happening because God's in control of that. They work on their own is the point. God does that for everybody. The believer and the non-believer. He's the one who sustains. We make decisions on our voluntary muscles, but God sustains us all. Everybody. Verse 11. Does not the ear try words and your mouth taste as meat? With the ancient is wisdom and in length of days understanding. With him is wisdom and strength, is counsel and understanding. Behold, he breaks down and it cannot be built again. He shuts up a man and there can be no opening. And Job talking about the guy's wisdom. He's saying, you, normally with wisdom, the older you get, the wiser you are. Well, that's not coming with you guys. Uh, that's not the case. You should be wiser. And if God, if God decides to put someone in prison, no one's going to break them out. If God does something, nobody can do anything against it. He's saying. Verse 15, behold, he will hold the waters and they dry up. Also, he sends them out and they overturn the earth. So speaking of the waters, um, he sends the waters and overturns the earth. See, Job. I really believe understood that there was a worldwide flood that overturned the earth. And, and here's a reference here. And uh, uh, there's others in the scripture. And we know the time period Job was after the flood and before Abraham. But that's what it's referencing here. Verse 16. With him is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He, he leads counselors away. Spoiled and makes the judges fools. God does that. We've seen that in our court system today, right? Make the judges fools. He loosens the bond of kings and girds their loins with a girdle. He leads princes away spoiled and overthrows the mighty. He removes away the speech of the trusty and takes away the understanding of the aged. He pours contempt upon princes and weakens the strength of the mighty. He discovers deep things out of the darkness. And brings out the light shadow of death. He increases the nations. And destroys them. He enlarges the nations. And then straightens them again. The United States needs to take heed to this passage right here. And goes, Job's absolutely right. Uh, on, on what God is like. In this case. It's God that enlarges a nation. And when a nation is destroyed. It's God over that as well. Prosperity in the nation has nothing to do with government. Number one, it has to do with the sovereignty of God. And in God's sovereignty, nations that choose to follow him in obedience, choose to humble themselves, 
seek this face, God promises to heal their land. But God can do what he wants with the nation. Sometimes even using nations that have evil at the top to accomplish his purposes. So prosperity nation has to do with the sovereignty of God and the mercy of God. And he heals nations that humble themselves before him. I pray that for America. Because he also allows judgment to come upon nations that don't. We might be in that point in America right now. Hope not. I pray for revival either way. Verse 24 says, He takes away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth. He causes them to wander in a wilderness where there is no way. They grope in the dark without light. He makes them to stagger like a drunken man. And we will be back in the next segment with chapter 13. And Job in chapter 13 continues his response, his lengthy response to Zophar. He says, Lo, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, the same do I know also. I'm not inferior unto you. Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. But you are forgers of lies. Speaking to his friends, ye are all physicians of no value. Oh, that ye would altogether hold your peace. This should be your wisdom, indeed. The wisest they were was at the beginning when they said nothing. The wisest thing you can do, and be my friends, if you want to be my friends, the wisest thing you can do is just keep your mouth shut. There's a proverb that speaks about that as well. Um, you uh, might be able to hide that you're a fool. Yeah, you can hide being a fool. People can think that you're wiser than you actually are. But uh, when you open your mouth, all doubt is removed from that. Okay, So uh, even a fool can, can, can hide it a little bit. They keep their mouth shut. The wisest thing the fool here, Job says, can do is just keep their mouth shut. It, it's the wisest thing you can do. Verse 6, hear now my reasoning, and hearken to the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for him? And indeed, that's what's going on. You guys are speaking wickedly for God. You think you're talking on God's behalf, but you're not speaking on his behalf. And, and, I, and, I, and I will touch upon this. Be careful with those that say, Hey, God has given me a word. The God says this. The Lord says this to you. Those that supposedly hear from God and are telling you things. Now, I'm not saying don't totally, don't totally discredit it, but be careful. Because God can speak to us directly as well. Through his word, through prayer, to your heart. Whatever somebody's saying, number one, for sure, make sure it matches up with scripture or has no basis at all. And in this case, these friends, weren't, they weren't speaking on God's behalf, but they acted as if they were. In other words, you're going to paint God into this little cause and effects box. God, this is my kindergarten box, right? Here. Hey, I'm going to draw a box here, kindergarten, cause, effect. God, you have to fit in there. That is their theology. They're going to... Paint God into a little cause and effects box, what we call today, and it's in some of the church, we call the prosperity doctrine. There are many churches that still practice that today. False doctrine. But the truth is, you don't have the sovereignty of God all figured out. You can't. We can't fathom God. We can we, we get glimpses of God, but we can't totally understand him. We don't know what he's going to do, when he's going to do it. God can do what he wants, when he wants. Now, for us believers, I am thankful that he is a great God who keeps all his promises. All of his promises are amen. We can trust in him. But he is still sovereign and can do what he wants, when he wants, to whomever he wants, whatever purpose he wants. But we know our God is good, and, and we can trust that anything that happens in a believer's life, he's got a plan. And it's for our good. It's for the good of the kingdom. Verse 8. 
Will you accept this person? Will you contend for God? Is it good that he should search you out? Or as one man mocks another, do you so mock him? In other words, you guys think you're talking on God's behalf, but you're not. Verse 10, he will surely reprove you if you do secretly accept persons. And God indeed will reprove these guys. We will see this at the end of Job. We're not going to flip there. We're not going to skip ahead. Uh, but eventually God is going to reprove these friends before we get to the end of the book. Job is absolutely right. Verse 11, shall not his excellency make you afraid and his dread fall upon you? Your remembrances are like unto ashes, your bodies to bodies of clay. Hold your peace. Leave me alone that I may speak and let come on me what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand? Notice this, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my own ways before him. And they have been calling Job a hypocrite. That's what they've been saying. We'll see that in the next passage here as well. They've been calling him a hypocrite and saying, you're not following God. Job clearly says, if I wasn't following God, I would have cursed him a long time ago. But here's the reality. This is, this is point blank where I stand. Though he may slay me, I will trust in him. And Job has right along. He hasn't stopped worshiping or acknowledging God as Lord. He just doesn't understand why things are going on and would like to know. I'd like to talk to God about it and see what's going on. And if he's going to be finished off, he'd rather God finish him off to death and take him home. He's okay with that. But no matter what happens, it doesn't stop his worship of God. And he's saying, I'd, I'd rather stand before God and, then, and talk to him about this instead of your friends who aren't good comforters at all. They're not helpful at all. I'll take my case before God. He knows that I haven't done anything. And though he slay me, I will still trust in him. What great faith is displayed here by Job? I... Uh, it would be a great thing if our faith would be this strong. And that's where we want to get to. We want that strong faith as well. That no matter our circumstances, we're going to trust in the Lord. We're not going to run. We're not going to hide. We're going to just trust in the Lord that he's got a plan. Verse 16. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite shall not come before him. Hear diligently my speech and my declaration with your ears. Behold now, I have ordered my cause. I know that I shall be justified. Who is he that would plead with me? For now, if I hold my tongue, I shall give up the ghost. Well, in verse 20 here, unlike his friends, which we haven't seen in the scripture, Job, again, starts talking with God. God's not responding yet, but he's talking to God. It says, verse 20, only do not two things unto me, then will I not hide myself from you. Withdraw your hand far from me, and let not your dread make me afraid. Job is saying, I'm really suffering right now, God. Would you give me a little break here? Would you give me a break? It says, verse 22, then, then call thou, and I will answer. Or let me speak, and answer thou me. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. Wherefore hidest thou thy face and holdest me for your enemy? You can feel for Job here. He, he These friends, they're starting to rub off on him. And they got him thinking things about God that simply aren't true. And because he's in despair. And again, this, I believe, is Job's greatest fear. His greatest fear is not all this pain and all these things that are happening. It's that God was hiding from him. Because Job, no doubt, had gone through things before. He lives on earth. Now, not, not like this, but whatever life brought, God was always with him. 
Right now, he feels like the connection is broken. And that is what he fears. But what Job is saying here is not speaking the truth. Because God doesn't see Job as an enemy. But this is what happens when you have a theology that's not biblical and it's based on cause and effect. When you paint God in a box. When you paint God in a little kindergarten box, bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. That's the theology. When that happens, you think there must be some reason I'm where I'm at. Well, there are reasons, but it might not, it might not be against you, but actually for you. God is using Job to teach lessons to the angels. We already know about that. And also to the rest of the world and us that study this through the years. Verse 25. You break a leaf driven to and fro. Uh, there's not much left to me, God. Are you going to break me? Will you pursue the dry stubble? Will you write bitter things against me? No, he doesn't. Make me to possess the iniquities of my youth. Job can't figure it out. They messed up his mind so much. He says, something that I did when I was a kid? When I was younger? Is that, is that Let me think. I, I got to think way back. When I was a kid, did I do something? Is that what I'm being punished for now? They so messed up his mind that he's thinking these things. Verse 27, you put my feet also in the stocks and look narrowly unto all my paths. You set a print upon the heels of my feet. And he as a rotten thing, consumed as a garment that is moth-eaten. Look, when something out of the ordinary happens in your life, your whole perspective changes, right? Whether it be a death in the family, some kind of diagnosis, some kind of sickness, some kind of huge change that you weren't expecting, makes you slow down and think, and your perspective changes. Job is going through this. And he's realizing how quick life is, as we see continues in, the, in chapter 14. He says, man that is born of a woman, just a few days, and is full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower, and is cut down. It flees also as a shadow, and continues not. Again, life is short. That's the point. And if you're listening to this, you guys know that life is short as we've seen things happen in this world. I hope you're free in this world. I hope you're experiencing freedom. I hope you're doing the right thing and preparing for eternity. Life is short. Then comes the judgment. Are you ready for eternity? What do you do on earth determines where you spend eternity? And how things will be in that eternity. There are many things that I would like to do in this life that I've hoped to get around to that I haven't yet. And many of those things I'm sure I never will get around to. But what I do want to do is prioritize my life with God's will. I want my life to match up with His will. The things that might be fun or I would like to do don't really matter in comparison to things that I must do following the will of God. Because again, life is short. Eternity is at stake. So make sure you're living wisely. Living according to his will instead of seeking after the pleasures of men. Look. Despite what people may say out there. Death totals. Never change. Whether we have COVID, we have war and violence, we have disease, death totals never change. Some may die young, some might die old, but they all die, right? It's just a matter of timing, but the death total never changed. All die. And compared to eternity, our time here is it's not very long at all. So are you prepared to meet the creator of the earth? Are you? You need to be able to answer that question today, right now. Are you prepared to meet the creator of this earth? Because reality is you will. 
it's going to happen. That appointment's going to happen. So if you don't consider anything today other than that, consider that. Are you prepared to meet the one that made you? Verse 3. And Job says, And does your and does thou open your eyes upon such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who could bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? The answer is no one. Job is saying, God, maybe, maybe you demand perfection that no man can do. Maybe there's something that I did that I don't know about, that I couldn't do anything about. The Job's really pointing to original sin. We're born sinners. But just the fact that we're born from the seed of Adam, we are sinners. And there's nothing we can do about that on our own. All we can do is receive the free gift to be born again that Jesus offers as a sacrifice for being sinners. But as far as being perfect, we are all born unperfect, Job says. Maybe, maybe you're going to judge me based on that. Verse 5. Being his days are determined, the number of his months are with you. You have appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. That's absolutely true. God already knows the day that you and I are going to die. Now, that doesn't mean we go and do stupid things because you can't be touched. Uh, you can be touched if you do stupid things. What we are to do, though, is live the best we can, serving God, being good stewards over this temporary body that he's given us, being good stewards over this life that he's given us. When it is our time to go, there's nothing we can do about it. And as a believer, there's nothing we want to do about it. For it will be much better for us to go and be with the Lord. For the unbeliever, listen up. If you're not you're an unbeliever today, you should be afraid of death. Because then comes the judgment. You don't have to be afraid of death, though. That can change. You can make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life today. You can surrender to him. And you don't have to worry about that anymore. You will be prepared to meet your God. Finish the chapter here. Verse 6. Turn from him, that he may rest, till he shall accomplish as a hireling his day. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, that the tender branch thereof will not cease, though the root thereof will wax old in the earth, the stalk thereof die in the ground. Yet through the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. But man dies and wastes away. Yet man gives up the ghost. And where is he? The question is, when the spirit leaves the body, where does it go? Now Job's understanding of the afterlife, it's not really clear to him. That's why he's asking this question. And, and uh, it's going to be kind of bouncing back and forth. He will have revelation later. But at this point, he thinks that when a man dies, there is no hope. Unlike the tree, right? The tree, you thought it's dead, but spores were around, and all of a sudden, you can't get rid of this thing. It grows right up, back up, right? It says, man doesn't have that. That's the that his thoughts. Uh, he's going to have some revelation later on this, but at this point, this shows the lack of knowledge on the afterlife, I do. Because the New Testament teaches us that Jesus Christ brought immortality to the light in the New Testament. Now, what is recorded of Job is accurate of what he said, okay? It's accurately including the, the falsehoods that he's speaking of, okay? This is exactly what he said. Um, it's not true of the afterlife. We don't take this for doctrine on the afterlife. We take this as this is exactly what Job said, and what Job said was wrong. But what's the answer to the question? It all depends what you have done with Jesus Christ on where your spirit goes. Verse 11. As the waters fail from the sea, and the flood decays and dries up, so man lies down and rises not, till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would keep me secret, until your wrath be past, that you would appoint me, set time, and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? 
All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Again, he says, if man dies, will he live again? And then the language, it is in the negative, okay, in the Hebrew language. It's a tougher language in, in the book of Job because it's an, more ancient than the, it's the oldest book in the Bible. But um, it's in the negative. And what it's just saying is if man dies, will he live again? Is our, is our life after death? And, and in the language, is, is our life after death? Nah, why am I even thinking about it? That's what Job's saying here. He speaks about until my appointed time. The idea about his appointed time, it's talking about in the language warfare. Until my battle in this war is over. Until his replacements come. Job sees this, that he, what he's going through as fighting a battle. Indeed he is. And he is he's actually fighting it pretty well. Because he's still keeping his faith in God. See, when someone dies, whether someone admits it or not, this question pops into their head. For the, uh, if a man dies, will he live again? For the believer, we know for sure the answer to this. The Bible says, yes, for everyone. Everybody, when they die, will live again. Because every human being is an eternal being. We will live either in everlasting life or everlasting destruction, depending on what you have done with Jesus Christ. This tent we live in, this human body we have right now, cannot inherit heaven. And that goes to the grave. Okay? And the Spirit goes to be with the Lord. If you are a believer, immediately the Spirit goes to be with the Lord. And we will eventually get a body suitable for heaven. And he speaks about change here in this verse. He says, if a man dies, shall he live again at the day of my appointed time? Will I wait till my change comes? So it seems like there's a little bit of revelation there. The change will indeed come. It's a metamorphosis. Something we get to look forward to as a believer. This corruptible body will be no more, but believers will put on that which is incorruptible. Just like Jesus Christ arose from the dead, so shall we. Verse 15. You shall call and I will answer you. You will have a desire to the work of your hands. For now you number my steps. Does thou not watch over my sin? My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and you sew up my iniquity. And surely the mountain falls, comes to naught, and the rock is removed out of its place. The waters wear the stones. You wash away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth, and you destroy the hope of man. You prevail us forever against him. And he and he passes, you change his countenance, and send him away. His sons come to honor, and he knows it not. And they are brought low, but he perceives it not of them. But his flesh upon him shall have pain, and soul within him shall mourn. you got to realize, Job lived in a different time period than we do. He didn't have any medicine like we do. He didn't have any painkillers. And those of you that have pain, living with pain is not easy. There are classes and different things where people try to teach you how to live with pain. And many people do. They live with pain. Medicine it helps a lot. Job didn't have any of it. Yet, despite his circumstance, he still trusts in God. Again, Job didn't have the knowledge of the scriptures as we do. When you die, should you live again? Well, Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, if anyone believes in me, he shall never die. What we understand is the sufferings of this world are temporary and are but a light affliction, Paul would say, when we compare it to the glory that we're going to receive. I mean, this, this life is, is short. We're going to be back, and uh, I'm just going to leave you with one final thought. With a new year coming up, many people have these things called New Year's resolutions. And a lot of times they don't end up sticking to them. But whether it's New Year or any time of year, it is always a great time for goals, 
What do I mean by goals? I'm talking about your walk with God. I'm talking about getting serious about your walk with God. I know some of us might have had a hard 2020 year. Maybe you got sick. Maybe you struggled financially. Maybe you were lonely, depressed, not understanding why things are happening in your life. I encourage you guys, today is a day, it's a new year, to figure some things out. Who is God? If you don't know who God is, you need to figure that out. And if you're joining us here, you will figure that out. We're going first by verse through scripture. And if God, who is who he says he is, almighty, the creator of all things, somebody who loves us, then we need to have a relationship with him. Because God makes it very clear that those who die without their sins being forgiven would go to a place called hell the lake of fire with this everlasting destruction we finished up in the book uh, uh, Job in the conversation tonight what we were talking about talked about is there life after death and the answer is yes a believer goes to spend eternity with the Lord in heaven in the new Jerusalem unbeliever goes to the lake of fire and life is very short time today to get serious about your walk with God it's your choice what are you going to do the reasonable smart thing to do to make him Lord of your life and, and, and realize this that when you do that your life is going to be changed for the better not like you're giving up all these things you say I'm going to have to give up this give up this give up that and it's, it's going to be boring it's not a life with Christ is nothing but boring it's the most exciting thing you could ever do it changes your heart it fills you with joy and it gives you an abundant life here on this earth and no matter what you're going through, as you grow in maturity and learn to trust Him, you will have a peace no matter what the circumstances may be. And the circumstances on, on this earth may still be hard at times, even as a believer. But we can know that if we are His, that He's doing something for our good. He's growing us, strengthening us, and He's building His kingdom. So it's time for you to make a decision. No more playing church. When we're playing games, it's time to put away childish things, time to grow up. And if God is real, to give your life to him. Make him Lord of your life. To receive of the love that he's offering you, that gift of mercy, forgiveness, and eternal life. Remember this, Jesus loves you despite the foolish things that we've done. Jesus died for you so that you could be forgiven. So he was committed to us on the cross. The only reasonable thing for us to do is to be committed to him. Not occasionally, but all in. So, I encourage you guys, if you are walking with him, to continue your steadfast walk and grow more this year. And if you have not been steadfast, start the journey today to be all in for God, to trust and obey. He loves you. He died for you. Now let's walk with him. We'll see you guys all next week on the Steadfast Podcast. Jesus Christ, God's own soul, take me higher, lift me up, precious Lord.
feel my cup Don't 